You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 27. We're going to be reading through several chapters today, uh, sections of several chapters, because I'm going to be spending a week or two, maybe three, on these uh, chapters, Jeremiah 27 to 29. But we're going to start in Jeremiah 27, verse 1. And uh, while you're turning there, maybe you've heard of the doctor who told his patient, look, I've got some bad news, and then I've got some worse news. He goes, you know, the patient was like, you know what? Bring it on. What is it? Go ahead and tell me, Doc. What's the bad news? He said, well, the bad news is you've got 24 hours to live. And the patient's like, what in the world? What can possibly be worse than that bad news, Doc? What's worse than having 24 hours to live? He goes, well, the worst news is I forgot to tell you yesterday. (laughs) Life's full of bad news. Uh, And if you don't believe me, then I want you to believe that great theologian, John Fogarty, for Credence Clearwater Revival, and you can feel free to sing along. one person out there going, what in the name of Holy Huddle is happening here? (laughs) What kind of liberal nonsense have we fallen off into in this church? That Bad Moon Rising is actually one of CCR's most popular songs, and it 
it came out in 1969 in the middle of the sexual revolution, middle of war and all this tragedy across the world. And uh, Fogarty wrote the song himself, so he had to go and introduce the song to his band. And it was when he was, and I don't know if you've ever listened to the words of that song, but they're quite apocalyptic, all right? And you're, you're singing it to the upbeat, and you're like, this is awful, you know? <laughs> and that, the band didn't even realize it. Fogarty didn't even realize what an upbeat sound it had until he started practicing it with the band. And they're like, they started to notice the dichotomy between these fatalistic words and the upbeat sound. But little did they know, 54 years later, they'd be giving you the intro to my sermon this morning, all right? <laughs> because uh, we're gonna hear over today and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna read a lot of scripture today. It's, a, it's kind of a unique message. But it's, I'm gonna tell you the four parts. But it's actually a, a, a bleak forecast that we're gonna see. But there's hope in the middle of an unchangeable bleak forecast. The bleak forecast is happening. Right? It's gonna rain. It's, we're, we're, we're gonna go into exile <laughs> to wicked nations. And, and, but then in the midst of that, God has a wonderful word uh, that he delivers through Jeremiah. So I wanna read these, and I just wanna, before I read the scripture, I'm gonna actually explain it to you, summarize it, and then we're gonna read it. So here's the four parts. Jeremiah 27, it's gonna go like this, part one. God tells Jeremiah, listen, don't you trust these false prophets who are gonna come along and they're gonna say, oh, everything's gonna be so good. All those vessels, the, the, the parts of the, the gold and uh, vessels of the temple that have been stolen away to Babylon and all the exiles, uh, when people come along and say they're gonna come back, don't believe them, it's a lie, all right? And so Jeremiah goes and relays that message to the people, part one. Part two, Hananiah, another prophet, says, no, that ain't gonna happen. Matter of fact, God told me two years from now, all those vessels are going to come back. Jeconiah and all these servants of God that were taken into exile, they're going to come back and all the exiles are going to come back. Two years, right? And so Jeremiah basically says, well, amen. I hope you're right. But let me just tell you, all the prophets before you and me, they didn't prophesy that. They prophesied war and pestilence. But hey, We'll know if it comes true in two years. We'll know if your prophecy's true. And Jeremiah goes his way. Part three, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, listen, Hananiah don't know what he's talking about. He's a false prophet offering false hope, giving people false hope. <laughs> not only are the people of God not gonna be uh, restored in the next two years, but I'm gonna take Hananiah's life in one. And that's what happened. Hananiah dies within the year, just as Jeremiah prophesied from the Lord. Part four, God tells Jeremiah to write this letter to all these exiles and all the elders and they would distribute this letter to be read in their presence. And he basically says, hey, listen, you are going into exile, but hold your heads up because here's what I want you to do. I want you to build houses. I want you to plant crops. I want you to eat. I want you to marry and be given in marriage. I want you to give your daughters to be married. And I want you to seek the welfare of the city in which you live. Seek the welfare of Babylon because in seeking the welfare of, of Babylon, you're seeking the welfare of your own families because that's where you live. And uh, that's pretty much the end. That's the 40,000 foot view. Uh, and it's gonna take a minute for me to walk through these passages, but 
How do, I want us to ask as we go through this, how do we handle horrific news, unchangeable horrific news? I see a bad moon rising, I see trouble on the way, I see earthquakes and lightning, I see bad times today, and you're blind as a bat if you don't see it, right? All right, you don't watch any news if you're not paying attention. So how can we remain faithful in a frightful forecast? Well, let's read God's word and see, starting in Jeremiah 27, verse 1, part 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. And for you kids out there, yoke bars are those wooden things they used to put across oxen so they could pull carts. They still have versions of that today. But it was, he said, make yourself one of those and put it on your neck so you can have a visual, there'll be a visible indication of the message you're delivering. It's like, a, uh, it's like the PowerPoint of the day. That yoke, that yoke bar is gonna be like your PowerPoint slide, all right? He says, send word to the king of Edom. This is Jeremiah 27, three. The king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the uh, king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, uh, by the hands of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So all these kings, get them all together. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters, your leaders. It's I who by my great power and my outstretched arm, these are words of God, have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now, I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beast of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve the Neb this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you with the result that you'll be removed far from your land and I'll drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. Verse 19, for thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, the seas, the stands, and the rest of the vessels that are left in the city. That's all the stuff in, 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 it's involved in worship of God, basically those items. Verse 20, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. Jeremiah 28, verse one, part two. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hanani, the son of Azur, the prophet uh, from Gibeon, 
spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priest and all the people saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I'll also bring back to the place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah said, amen, amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you've prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon, the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the people, all the exiles. Yet, verse seven, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people, the prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times, prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against the many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Well, verse 10, as if, as if Hananiah didn't hear a stinking word that Jeremiah had just said, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah and he broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people. Thus says the Lord, even so, even though Jeremiah has declared all this, even though God has declared all this before, even so, will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. All right, we'll see. <laughs> Part three, verse 12. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you've broken wooden bars, but you've made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I've put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beast of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you and you have made this people trust and a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'll remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you've uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Jeremiah 29 verse one, part four. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elessa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the letter from Jeremiah to all the people. The, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into, the, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners and uh, who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know, and this is the part, the verse you probably know, you just didn't know where it was at. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. May God bless the reading of his word. As we begin 2024, uh, instead of having someone individual come up and pray this week, I thought it would be good for us all collectively as a church, if you're able, to literally bow before the Lord. We're not bowing before anyone. We're bowing before him, the king of the universe, the king of all kings. And so I just want us to start this year off on our knees as a church family. You may have done that in your homes already um, with your children. I don't know, but, but I want us to do that. And so if you can, so you may want to make your way. It may be crowded where you're at. You can make your way to the altar. When I grew up, we came to the altars and prayed. And so you're welcome to come and pray with your family here. But we're going to just spend a moment in prayer. And then I'll, I'll, I'll close that prayer and continue in our message. Let's, let's pray.
see us. I know you see us from heaven. I know you're present with us here in spirit. And so, God, I, I pray, God, as, as your angels are here rejoicing with us, Lord, we, we pray that you would see our knees bowed before you, our hearts bowed in reverence to you. God, we're asking you to bless our families and bless us individually. Not just bless this message, God. We want you to bless our year. We want a, a year that's different, a year that's full of joy in the midst of pain, in the midst of a, of a frightful forecast. We pray that you would let us build. You would let our us be sanctified. You would let us grow as a church, as families, and as individuals for your glory. May it be so for your own name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, there was a large two-engine train. It was headed out west with a bunch of uh, bunch of passengers on it, and it and it had to inevitably go over the western mountains. And it was approaching Denver, and uh, one of the two engines broke down. Well, the 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 conductor wanted to have a you know have his head up and have his be be encouraged. So he was like, you know what? It's fine. We'll, we've got the second engine. We'll just limp along at, at half power and, and get to Denver and swap it out. But then just a little bit further down the line, engine number two went out. So it, you know, the engineer had to tell all the passengers what was going on, why they were stopped dead in their tracks up in the mountains outside Denver. And uh, so we came over to the intercom. And he was always one of these types that wanted to, you know, he saw the glass half full. So he said, well, I've got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is we are dead in our tracks, literally, and we're, it's going to be a while before they get a couple other engines out to drag us on into Denver. So we're going to be delayed, uh, and it, that's inevitable. The good news is you're not traveling by plane. <laughs> See, the engines were out. It'll come to you. So we're looking today and next week at finding silver linings in unavoidable exile, all right? And so let me just kick off with silver lining number one. And this is really the only one we're gonna get through today. And it, it may seem obvious to you, but silver lining number one is this. God's ways are always right. Uh, when you think about um, the, the law of gravity, I've used this as an illustration before. The law of gravity exists with or without you. You, you. you were born into the law of gravity, right? Literally, all right? And so you don't change it. You may try to alter it by making the wings on the planes bigger as the payload increases. You can do things to defy it. You're not gonna change it, right? The, the law of gravity does what it wants, right? And we don't even understand all that there is to the law of gravity, which really sets up two of the things I want to say here. And first is that God's decisions are higher than our understanding. Isaiah 55 verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. You think you think like God, but you don't. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, scholars call this, this, this trait of God, the incommunicable attributes of God. The, there's communicable and incommunicable attributes. I didn't know you were going to get a, a, a lesson this morning, but this is one scholar put it this way, communicable attributes of God are those we can also possess, 
right? Uh, to a finite extent, right? If something's communicable, it's able to be communicated or transferred to others. Communicable attributes. Incommunicable attributes of God are those he alone possesses. We don't have even a finite measure of God's incommunicable attributes. So, in virtue of God's non-transferable traits, God's exclusive traits, his incommunicable attributes, here's some examples of those. His omnipotence, he's all-powerful. His omnipresence, meaning God is present everywhere all the time. He's, um, he's omnipresent. His omniscience, meaning omni means all science, knowledge, so he's all-knowing. His sovereignty, meaning he has the power, wisdom, and authority to do whatever he wants to do. Doesn't mean he's going to do it, but he can if he wants to. <laughs> he's sovereign. God is transcendent, meaning God exists above and independent from anyone or anything. He is above, before, and further than anything or anyone. God is also immutable. That's just a fancy way of saying he doesn't change. He's immutable. God is also self-existent, meaning, as someone said, God is the uncaused cause, the uncreated creator. He is the source of all things, the one who originated everything and who sustains everything that exists. <laughs> so God's incommunicable attributes, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his sovereignty, his transcendence, his immutability, his self-existence, scream to us that we are out of our depth when it comes to figuring out, seeing things, and knowing all things. <laughs> We're out of our league. And for those uh, whose minds are a little, you're experiencing kind of New Year's fog with all these fancy words, listen. But to put it simply, God's more powerful, more present, more knowing, more wise, more free of corruption, more faithful, more before or after any one of you or anything that exists. So surely we can say our thinking, whatever it is, about any topic, about any situation is incomplete. We see through a glass dimly, but then we shall see face to face. The scripture says, Jeremiah 27 verse 4 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power, my, of, of point one, there's the greatest incommunicable attribute of God is his, to me, his perfection that he's never sinned. It gave him the right to choose to die for us so that he can impart to us a communal attribute. Did you know if you're a child of God, you have an attribute of God that's communicated, that's transferred to you by virtue of your faith and his willing death on the cross. And it is his holiness. You're holy because God is holy. When you repent of your sin and you trust in Christ's death, burial and resurrection, you are receiving the holiness. You are receiving a communable view. Eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So I don't know what sins you may not have confessed yet. We had that time of prayer moments ago. So maybe you cried out to the Lord and asked him to forgive things. But I asked God to show me specific sins in my life that I can confess. I'm, I'm too dumb to know them all. Every time I read the word, I find out more sins I've committed. 
Uh, you, you actually, the longer you're a Christian, the worse sinner you become because you, you, you see your sins more clearly in Scripture. So whatever it is, confess that to the Lord before you take uh, the Lord's Supper today. And if you don't know the Lord, I just ask for your own sake that you sustain. I'm not here to judge whether you're a believer or not. You know that. But in a moment, for those that are guests, uh, after I pray, and I'll just go ahead and have you stand. I'm going to pray, and after I get through praying, there's five Lord's Supper tables, and at each table, there's two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom cup has the bread, the top cup has the wine, the juice. So take both cups, return to your seats, and then you, you may want to spend a moment in prayer, may want to explain to your kids or uh, family members you know, what the Lord's Supper is. Uh, it may be a teaching time for you, but spend some moments in prayer. And then uh, after that, I'll have you stand back up uh, for our time of invitation. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your body and your blood that was poured out, broken and poured out for us. Though no bone was broken, your, your back was. You, you were lashed, crown of thorns, tortured for us, innocent of all evil, willingly dying for us. And that is the moment we remember now, God, and we praise you for. It is one of the most hopeful events that we could have as we enter this new year. And we wanna, we wanna enter it blazing, not dragging our feet. And so, God, I pray as we take this Lord's Supper, you would fill our souls with joy, you know, uh, humility over the price that's been paid, but joy that it's already done. It's finished. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Bless this bread, bless this wine for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.